Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques, so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com slash magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Jenny Thielen at Studio Thielen, a design studio and creative catalyst currently powering Toolbox Toolbox, design education, and the newly launched WOW Academy, where she, together along with an all-star team, help organizations define, build, and maintain their happiest ways of working. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. I'm excited to talk with you today. So let's get started by hearing just a little bit of your origin story. Like, How did you get your start down this path of becoming founder of the WOW Academy? Well, I am I'm currently living in Stockholm, Sweden, and prior to that I've been moving around sort of all over the world throughout my childhood. Uh, got parents who are retired diplomats. And um my origin story I guess started with moving to Tokyo when I was 1 month and then from jumping between different cultures and cities and countries, I think I went to approximately 11 schools in total. I lived in seven countries and then I landed in London and I actually spent most of my years there. I was there studying and working for about 14 years and then I came here to Stockholm seven years ago. And I would say that sort of the biggest impact it has had upon me uh, has probably been sort of the, the joy of meeting a room full of new people. I think that's one of the my most fun things to do and also figuring out how how can I integrate in the, the quickest way possible and how can I make friends and actually side note I think my first words that came out of my mouth were actually good friends and that's really <laughs> stuck with me <laughs> so that's a bit of my origin story on a personal level that's great and you know it makes me think how appropriate of a body of work to focus on considering that this this background of moving from place to place and constantly having to you know pick up everything and leave friends behind and make new friends mm. and also getting experienced in learning different cultures at a young age and getting a respect for how these different cultures show up and and how to like understand them and and be with them I can imagine that's really hard to you for this work to help, you know, make people feel comfortable and be friends with all sorts of people. Yes. Oh my God, absolutely. And for example, when I was um, a teenager, I would help at home quite a bit because at the time we were living in Istanbul in Turkey 
And representing Sweden, we would have a lot of receptions and parties and, and events that were hosted at our house. And I would help my mother with catering and, you know, in the kitchen and just being sort of there. And I remember very clearly that she, um, very often, she would come up to me and be like, do you know who you spoke to just now? Or do you know who you almost spilt yogurt on just now? And I'll be like, I have no idea, just some old man. It's like, oh, that was the Finnish president or that was some other, you know, politician that I've never, ever heard of. And what was so interesting about that in retrospect was it made me think that there was something sort of secretly awesome about everybody, you know, because I had this like, okay, so that person is apparently special because of these things. And that person is special because of these things. So now it is very much like, I really try and dip into to what is that story behind that person. And I think definitely that's rooted in, in my childhood and my upbringing, for sure. That's so cool. You know, it makes me think of how fun of an activity that would be. Everyone always has these icebreakers where they're like, you know, it might be like a truth and a lie or whatever. and Or like, yeah. uh, what's what's the craziest thing that like, people don't know about you or whatever? But what if we just like made them up about people instead? What if we just assume like there's <laughs> something secretly awesome about everyone in the yeah. room? Like write it down because yeah. it yeah. trains that view of like this potential that, yeah, these mm. people could be secretly incredible and they probably are. Exactly. Exactly. And they probably are. The other fascinating side of it is that, you know, for me, I didn't really see, I, I didn't treat them any differently because a, I didn't really, you know, know that or just been aware of that. I've been sort of told stories back from from my mum when she goes, "Oh, do you remember when you took the Crown Prince's Navy crew out on the town nightclubbing?" And I'd be like, "I got, I got not. Was that what? Was that Crown? Is it? I just remember a whole bunch of sailor dudes." And then she's like, "Yeah, but you came back because you, you thought it was really boring." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, "Okay, well that makes sense. That's probably why I can't remember it." But I think, you know, now, in retrospect, it's extremely privileged what I experienced. But I think that it it's helped uh, shape me a lot better as a facilitator and just general, like, team builder. And yeah, I, I, I'm just constantly curious what, what that sort of, that secret thing is behind everyone's facade. So amazing. So I want to take us back to your first facilitation. Do you remember when you, who would you consider your first actual facilitation? Because I find it fascinating, this journey you went on. And I know it's true for myself and a lot of facilitators I talk to that, uh, you know, they, they find that they were doing it well before they even kind of considered themselves mm. a facilitator because they're naturally drawn to it in these various different moments. But there's always at one point where it like really clicked that like, Oh, I'm facilitating or oh, I'm going to go do this. So I'm, I'm curious what, what that moment was for you. I definitely have that moment. I think that the sort of unofficial moments have been just the the experiences of of stewardship and and hosting and just being sort of the the, the project manager of you know if it, if it's a party or if it's um a meeting but the the time when I really like it was really grounded was a few years ago, I was leading a master's program at Hyper Island in digital management. And it was my first year and I had a, a group of 20 students, all mature students with senior, middleweight to senior jobs. It was part time. So they had to have, they had to have a job. 
And everything that we did through this program was designed so that they would actually apply it in the real world at their workplace as sort of their sort of experimental ground. And so I, I was a program manager and, and basically designed all the, the days where we were together with other guests. And I would be working with a co-facilitator. For this specific thing, it was around halfway through the program and I had received a letter from the class basically laying it into me. Like, we want this. That wasn't good enough. Uh, this speaker was boring. It was very well written feedback. I, I do have to say I'm exaggerating. But to me, like, it was just tearing me up. It's like, oh, you know, I cannot take this personally. What am I doing? Like, I don't want to do this job anymore. I've suddenly got these, like, people coming after me. It's like vultures. And when this letter then circulated and I spoke to my co-facilitator, he was just smiling. And I was like, why are you smiling about this? And he said, Jenny, remember everything you know about group dynamics. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, they're in stage two now. Like they're in the, you know, they're comfortable enough to, to share their, their own voices and they're basically going, you know, what's in it for me? And they're in their sort of conflict stage and we're the baddies because we're the, the system, right? So all we got to do is just push them over the ledge. This is a great thing. And after that, my approach and facilitation completely changed because, you know, I was really nervous going into a session where we basically had everybody sitting around in a circle and everybody had a chance to share their feedback and, and their thoughts to actually, this is a really positive thing that we're doing. And I think it wasn't until I had a more experienced person helping me navigate that, but also when I could connect my actions to what I was aware of that they were going through. Mm. So they were going through an experience that I was not part of. And what they actually did was give me a window into that to be able to facilitate that, you know, and help that going forward. So I think that was like the time where I went from, I hate my job to, oh my God, I love my job. <laughs> and I'm a facilitator. So I think, yeah, <laughs> that was the biggest one. That certainly resonates. I think most facilitators have had that moment where we're always curious and listening. And so we you know, ask for the feedback and we get the feedback and it's just devastating. Even if it's uh, during the session, you know, we don't, it's not always we had to wait for the feedback. It's like, ooh, people are unhappy. It could sometimes be very obvious in the moment. And we kind of have two choices. There's a gradient, of course, but, you know, ultimately it falls on two ends of a spectrum. One is we can be defeated. And the other one is we can say, well, what's really going on here? Yeah. Is it really that I've done a horrible job or is it that there's something deeper at play and it's fascinating that you know what you found was that you know they were comfortable and, and ready to push and, and ready to you know really just wrap their arms around what's in it for me i think another thing that's really common is when people don't understand even why they're there or there's something else that the team is upset about there's like unresolved tension and so that stuff's just manifesting in any which way it can, you know, it's just like steam just trying to find its way out of every crevice. And so it's like, has nothing to do with you as a facilitator and everything about that team needing to work through some issues. And yep. yeah. So what have you found to be 
you know, I think the generic silver bullet is just to be flexible. You know, it's like, if that's happening, let's lean into that and throw the agenda out the door because that they need to solve that first. Absolutely. And also, you know, I've spent quite a few years now teaching nonviolent communication and, and feedback culture. And I think, you know, every time I hit one of those hurdles, I try and sort of armor myself with, okay, well, what, what can I do to become this flexible situation-based type leader or facilitator? Like, what is the role that I have to pivot to? And what's really fascinating, if I go back to the sessions that I had uh, on the master's program, you know, again, we're sitting with a group of people who are extremely experienced, you know, there might be different experiences. And my role it's yeah, it's really it's really difficult when you're when you're confronted with something and then you, you haven't designed in the time to be able to to dive into it. So yeah. It's an interesting place to be, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. I'm kinda curious as well around your inception moment for the toolbox toolbox because mm. I was happy to find it. You know, I don't know when I first stumbled upon it. I got reminded about it fairly recently, actually. And that's what led me to kind of reach out and connect with you. But because my team and, you know, friends and whatnot had always kind of told me, you really need to create a database or, or a library of methods and things. And I'm like, well, there's so many of those things out there. Like, do we really need to create another one? And finally, what I decided was like, oh, I just need to do a roundup article and just like literally just create a place where everyone can find find all the things. So I started creating <laughs> this blog post that was just like literally just a bunch of links. They're like, hey, here's where you can go find this stuff. And then I found the toolbox toolbox and I was like, oh, how cool is that? The name of it is actually like, it's like, here's a toolbox where you can find all the toolboxes. I was just curious about what was your moment of inspiration and, and how did you get there to kind mm. of launch that project? Toolbox Toolbox came about because very similarly to your experience, I was just leaving Hyper Island and the MA at the time. And Hyper Island is a, is a school very extremely good at getting together their methodology and curating their tools and methods. And they have a fantastic toolbox. And I had been using that, you know, every single day for a few years. And but when I left, it was very much one of those, but oh my God, this cannot be the only one. And also when you, when you work for a company very specifically for a longer period of time, you kind of become snow blind. And also you, you don't really get the perspective from what else was out there. So I just been using that one. So when I came out, I was like, okay. So I started looking and it actually started off a little bit as a, kind of like an art project. It was like mm. slightly cynical art project, mind. It's like how many companies and individuals are creating toolboxes, you know, just for marketing or just for to be seen as we know what we're doing. So we're going to share some of our, you know, how-to guides and some of our canvases and tools. And I, I was quite cynical at the time. And I was thinking, you know, like a lot of it's bullshit. Like it is just bullshit. It's just regurgitated bullshit. So that's when it started. And then I, I made this list of what then I sort of curated and found were sort of the decent ones, were the ones that I, I could see a good, a good use for, bearing in mind a lot of the new toolboxes and the new sort of methods and stuff that I hadn't, I hadn't used them. So I couldn't account for the experience of them. I could only account for 
how well it was put together or how, um, you know, that company or institution or school, you know, how trustworthy are they? So I made a list and then that blog post got a lot of traction. And I was on Twitter and I wrote just willy-nilly. I went, um, does anybody want to turn this into a website? Because it, it seems like it's been getting a lot of attention. And Steve Thomas from Studio Moco put his hand up and said, I'd love to help you put this website together. So he created the website, really quick and dirty website. And then another friend of mine, Jim Rally, who's a, a learning designer based in the UK, he said, well, I can see that you just basically copy and pasting the copy from the toolboxes for your list. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't be bothered. And he's like, do you want me to come in and help you write the actual, you know, little blurbs? And I was like, hell yeah, come on over. And then since then, the team has fluctuated. There's been people coming and going. The website, we, we started doing a YouTube series called Unbox, where we spoke to toolbox creators. We spoke to um, IDEO and we spoke to Impossible and a few other places. And we also started just um, doing medium interviews and just for the love of um, ways of doing things and ways of working. And then since then, it's, it's become this rabbit hole. It's a pure, you know, pro bono passion project. And I've got a list, you know, a meter long at least of suggestions of how to improve it. But at the moment, it's just, it is what it is. And, and we kind of dip in and out, updating it. And hopefully, maybe in the future, I'll get a chance to put some finances towards it and actually create a good way to search <laughs> and a better user experience. Because at the moment, it is just, it's a rabbit hole. And, and one of the functions that actually makes it a rabbit hole is that actually every time you visit it, it refreshes a new list. So it's not a new list, but a new order of that list. Because I thought I'd, I want this to be a place of discovery, not a place of I'm looking for an energizer. I'm going to go into Toolbox Toolbox. It's a bit different thing. Wow, that's cool. I, you know, that echoes my experience with it. Somehow I hadn't made that connection in my head that it's like actually random. So mm. that's really cool. I'm going to use that from now on. Gonna, I'll go there and just hit refresh a few times and see what bubbles up. That'll be fun. Exactly. <laughs> and I've used it. I've actually done a toolbox toolbox workshop with students working sort of younger, more junior students where they in teams get to, to dive in. They each get to pick a toolbox or even something within a toolbox that they really enjoy or like the look of or want to test and then present it back to the team. And then the, the team presents back to the class. And what's been really fascinating about that is you would then start to see the sort of the trends of what people want to be facilitating. So for example, you know, we might have some really sort of heavy toolboxes on there by, by the likes of IDEO, or we have a small independent, for example, the, the comedy tool sack, which is this small little toolbox about how to, to bring comedy, uh, comedy into the workplace. You know, that became really popular in one workshop. And I, you know, I get an email from um, the, the folks who, who have that one. I'm like, Jenny, I just got like 50 downloads of our toolbox. Like, how did that happen? It's like, oh, we're doing a workshop and, you know, the kids want more fun. <laughs> so so it, th there's, a, there's a lot of interesting things in it on the toolbox, the progression is that we are now, when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of internal 
discussions around, of course, it all bubbled up with Black Lives Matter and, and systemic racism. And, and we were, it's something that plays on my mind a lot. And that is, if you look at how many toolboxes there are produced, like if you would look through that list, you know, how many of them are from, you know, privileged, big, sexy design agencies, predominantly white, you know, are we essentially part of the problem? Our toolbox is part of the problem. How can we address that? And what we've done so far is um, we've we've curated a little bit more sort of in terms of diverse content. So for example, with the latest, the hybrid work curation, which we did, so we do them internally time from time to time. You know, that piece of work or research was, you know, it, it wasn't about finding a toolbox specifically for hybrid working. It could just as well be a toolkit from a hospital talking about psychological safety, or it could be about reboarding, like people returning to work regardless of a pandemic. You know, what are some things in place? Where's some psychology? What are some things that we can use? And trying to open that up a bit more because it got a little bit, you know, very samey. <laughs> mm. So now we're inviting guests, curators, and um, creators as well to sort of be more part of the conversation. Nice. I think that's really important work. And I love that uh, you're looking at more diverse creators. And I think it's fascinating to look at, in addition to diverse creators, people who are creating toolboxes that support folks in need. Because then, then we can have ripple effects, you know, that's something we look at when we're doing our scholarship programs. You know, it's not only like, are you in need or also are you helping people in need? Because if I can mm. help someone, then it's going to go help 20 people. Then that's, that's really great too. Absolutely. So we're hoping that it will um, sort of breath out a little bit more. And also, you know, that this team, the current team, everybody who's on it, are here because they enjoy what we're doing and and that goes for future collaborators as well so you know like I always listen in if there's anybody who wants to get involved in any way you know it's just like welcome to the team <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not that fussy but yeah it's it's an exciting it's an exciting side project for sure Nice. We did we did spend some time looking to see how we could monetize it and create sort of a, a, a business around it but um that's been put on pause purely because it kind of sucked a little bit of the passion out of, um, out of it. So, you know, you called out the comedy tool sack and I'm curious if there are any other kind of big highlights, like either specifically ones that you noticed have gotten a lot of attention over the last, you know, six to eight months, 12 months, whatever, or if there are just general patterns you're seeing as far as like what's coming through as far as submissions and around curation, is there anything about the zeitgeist that's like kind of coming up as far as like, oh, there's a lot more of these kinds of things coming up or whatnot? It's extremely mixed. Mm. We we don't track a lot of the data, but I, I would say that most of the submissions and the, the views and, and the visitors are um, UK, US and Sweden based. I mean, because, you know, we don't, there is no marketing with Toolbox Toolbox at all. So everything is just word of mouth and through our sort of organic networks, which is something, you know, we should probably be looking at. But um, 
you know, the, the comedy tool sack is a, is a great example. And also, you know, we have things like with the conversations that we get with the creators, we can understand a little bit more because we actually push back a lot on submissions that they're just not a toolbox, like in our sort of definition. It's an opinion piece mm. or it's a blog post about, you know, how something should be done. It's not actionable, like there aren't actionable sort of tools in there that can be be implemented. And, you know, from, from my perspective, I still use a lot that comes out of the Hyper Island toolbox. I, I, I also tend to dip into the Session Labs toolbox. They've been part uh, of our bouncing board a little bit. We had a, a workshop where one of them came to, to help us out a little bit. But it's definitely, I, there aren't any specific ones. The ones that have just, it's just very clear and actionable. And when, when I asked um, Noble Academy about their toolbox in a YouTube interview, you know, we said, how has this come about? You know, back to the question of, is this just marketing? Like, how has this come about? And Lauren, who I spoke to, she said, uh, well, actually, by us creating our toolbox publicly, it has made us better at our job. You know, it's made us really evaluate the ways we do things and how the sort of the instructional design plays a big part and and how understandable it is. So I think you just have to go through and see what what feels relevant to you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, certainly. And that resonates with me, that story around kind of upping the quality game or just being more aware of you know, these things that we're using internally, as soon as you make them publicly available, you have to think a little bit more about how polished they are and how understandable they are. And, you know, it's like, I feel like oftentimes people or companies will consider their employees, I don't know, saying they take them for granted is not fair. You know, it's kind of a harsh way to say it, but on the spectrum, <laughs> It's, it's tending toward that starting to take people for granted, right? Because they're employees mm. and like, oh, they don't need quite as much like explanation or whatnot because they're kind of, they already have the context, but wouldn't yeah. it be helpful <laughs> to, you know, if we were to create that employee experience? It would be extremely helpful. On the flip side, you know, I have seen, so for example, with, um, with my consultancy clients, you know, I would never go through my uh, agenda for a for a workshop or a, a meeting in detail because you know it's like it's like reading the the credits from a movie you haven't mm. seen yeah and a lot of the the toolboxes that are online they are good but there's so much under the surface that you unless you're an experienced facilitator you would you would know how to actually deliver on that method or or on that um, canvas so some 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 toolbox creators are really good at sort of giving you enough of the sort of stuff around but i think just sort of handing a step-by-step -step guide to someone is meaningless unless you know what to do with it i think to me it's like these different levels of altitude right and i think it's really important to dial in that that first approach when you see a toolbox or a new recipe, the altitude be low enough, or maybe, sorry, to use the analogy properly, probably the altitude needs to be high enough, right? <laughs> so that it's abstracted enough to where you can like get the general gist 
and wrap your head around it and go, do I even want to do this? Because if you got to get so into the weeds around each little moving part for it to click to go, oh, this is what this is, then you've already invested a ton of time to even understand it. And so getting that overview, but then once you commit it to it, being able to dig into the details so you can run it. Then also the nice thing about having the overview is then, like you said, you can share that with your client. So like, here's what we're going to do. I'll take care of the details. Exactly. We give a bit of a trailer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a bit of a trailer, and then and then uh, you know every every client interaction that we have is designed as well. So you know they get the meta level of the experience, how it is to be in a, in a meeting facilitated by by me or by my my partners. So it's kind of like you know we've been doing this together. Just think of that on steroids, mm-hmm. you know, or think of that with more props, or think of that with you know this piece of theory. But I think there's only been a few who have been so sort of nervous and fearful that they've asked for sort of the the detailed uh, schedules and planning. And I'm more than happy to share them within the right context. And there's been a couple of people that I was designing a course for a a Swedish independence, an online school. And um, my program manager, so I was course designer consulting, you know, he was um, uh, he was a little bit, I think he was just really worried because he didn't really understand my philosophy or my methodologies. So in that instance, it was a little bit, you know, kill him with kindness. It's like, here's everything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, this is everything and we'll have a meeting. We'll go through it and I'll talk you through any bits that you're worried about. And, and just by spending that hour, that fear was gone. Like it was just vanished. And then I could just go off and do my thing. So I think it's very different with, with whom you're collaborating with and what their yeah, fears are in terms of, ooh, I've just invited 30 middle managers to this workshop. I have no idea what's actually going to be happening. I probably should. You know, you have a lot of, lot of internal thoughts that you need to help with. Yeah, you know, it's in a lot of ways that's facilitation as well, right? Like, sure. not only are we facilitating in our room, but we're facilitating leading up because the person who is our primary point of contact or, you know, in charge of the program, we're having to understand their needs and unpack that stuff and make sure they're comfortable. Yep. And this idea of kind of not giving them too much information. But then if it's clear that they're concerned or something's not resonating, then providing more information. Makes a lot of sense to me, and I think that's uh, something that uh, is really interesting to dial in from. Um, well, where do people get hung up most of the time, and can I can I change something about the way I do it next time? Yeah, and yes, and what's interesting about that is a lot of depending on the subject. So a lot of the a lot of the facilitation I do now is very much around team building or or helping design a, a culture whether it's a feedback culture or whatever sort of the, the niche area is. But they very often, the, the hangups that, that we see is content related. Mm. And like, you know, we were talking before about um, going to an amusement park. It's an experience. Every meeting is an experience. And also that whole idea of connection over content, which uh, you spoke about in one of the other podcast episodes, it is exactly that. It's trying to... Have them understand that if if it's not for this workshop, this group of people will probably never meet and never discuss these things 
that we need to discuss, or they never have a chance to have a facilitated conversation around a certain subject matter. Um, and I think when they get that, when they when they see the benefit of the 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 meeting itself, and they're not so worried about the outcome of the meeting, or they're not so worried about what will people think of the meeting, then it's easier. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. And and also we like to take that to the framing of the outcome. If we can make that about the people. So how do we want mm-hmm. them to be different when they walk out of the door? And I think I might have shared the workshop design canvas with you. That might have been one yes. of the things we submitted for the toolbox. And that's yep. the whole idea is like, let's focus on how the people are leaving and how they're showing up. Yeah. And then that should be, okay, what's the difference between those two? What's that delta? Because that's what needs to happen when we're in the session. Exactly. And uh, this morning I was reading an article, I think it's Harvard Business Review, talking about uh, intentional happiness, like designing, like optimizing for the sort of the happy and fun experience. And if I remember correctly, you know, the, the sort of the, the punchline of it was that um, happiness kind of precedes success. Like if you walk out of a session with your colleagues or, or um, uh, fellow students or whatever, whatever the group is, and you feel this joy of what you've achieved together, that kind of precedes how successful it was in a way. Mm. And I quite like that, that thought, you know, like if we, can, if we can design our meetings in a way that when you walk out of them, you hopefully will feel a certain way. And, you know, this, we, we set it up by basically going through our, um, having that as part of our desired outcomes from that, for that session. You know, and and saying like these are desired outcomes. You're the ones responsible for this, as much as we are. You know, this is what we would like, and just to see then their sort of self leadership and and bringing the energy or or uh, doing things that they may not have if they're just slowly thinking about their KPIs or whatever <laughs> else that's on their mind. It really helps. Yeah, that that resonates big time. You know, it's I often tell people that you know it's important to be metrics driven and focus on how we want to move the needle as a company. Yet when we're in that room with humans and especially in this age of more and more automation and things, we we need to lean into our humanity because if we're all just like basically boil each other down to numbers and stats, like we're not going to do creative work or we're not going to find out who we, who we are and where we can go. Exactly. And there's heaps of research on how, you know, joy supports collaboration, you know, as well. So it's if if this is a chance of finding that ignition of just enjoying your colleagues' company, that, that is part of my success as a facilitator, that they walk away, you know, not only achieving something specific, something actionable, a draft of something or a prototype or something, but that they also walk away feeling like really proud and, and happy from that experience. I think that's really important. And then also the, the humane aspect, you know, we get really tired, you know, like from being social. <laughs> we actually get really, really <laughs> tired. And designing, you know, this intentionally and having, for example, we do a lot of um, silent reflections and silent workshops as well. And from a planet-centric perspective, we do a lot of blind workshops too. So just being really intentional with that experience and then, 
you know, if they're if they're happy and and uh, enjoying it, they'll do great work, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, <laughs> we hope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, amazing. So you know, we're kind of quickly running out of time, but I want to just like hear about before we end with our final thought and whatnot. I want to hear a little bit about because we're kind of heading in this direction of what I feel was your passion around why you started the WOW Academy mm. and at least what I basically know at this point. And so I'm really curious if I'm tracking correctly and, and uh, is it really about, you know, creating fun and unlocking these moments with teams and, and where do you hope that can go? Oh, wow. Wow. Well, first of all, the entire company is just one massive pun. You know, we, we've got your wowsome diplomas at the end of courses and <laughs> we use it very frivolously. No, it, it really came about because, so I was doing a lot of work in terms of ways of working and process and facilitating everything from sprints to predominantly learning experiences. And from my background as a learning designer, and working with trying to help organizations become learning organizations, you know, I saw that that specifically that was a little bit of a missing ingredient. And when the pandemic hit, that kind of propelled that because suddenly everybody was in a learning experience and a new way of working. It was like, finally, you've come to my house. You know, this is, this is what I do. And I was getting a lot of these kind of requests coming through learning experience, but also Jenny, we know that you you do a lot of sessions around feedback. Jenny, we know that you do a lot of sessions around group dynamics. Is there a way that you can help us either build on on what we have, a fantastic culture, or you know we're ha- we're really struggling with um, psychological safety because we're not together anymore. Those kind of things, and then as they were kind of building up. I kind of went, oh, I'm just, I'm, this sounds really lame, but I am so sick of the word workshop. Can we just not call it something else? So it became wow shop. And then I was like, okay, that's great. And then two days later, I get an email from a quite a big corporate client going, hi, Jenny, we're looking for, um, we heard that you were doing this feedback thing, la la. And I just, on a whim, I was like, do you know what? Thank you so much for emailing me. This is the perfect time because I'm just about to start Wow Academy. <laughs> just came up with it and then over the weekend I built the website and then I asked my uh, my collaborator and friend Yorick uh, Elferink who's based in Amsterdam I said do you want to do this with me because uh, we'd been doing quite a bit of that kind of work together and he's just like oh, of course and then suddenly we were off and then since then you know it's very early days with WOW Academy but the plan is that it's B2B only so it's working with organizations and companies and, and, and whoever else needs the help. Organization in terms of a, a group of people who are organized to do something. So it <laughs> doesn't really matter who it is um, from that respect. But yeah, I'm really interested to see where it's going to go. We are currently looking at recruiting our wowers. Huh? Instead of facilitators, <laughs> they're called wowers, right? <laughs> I know. It's great to see, you know, how we can, how we can build and shape it. But it, it's, a lot of the requests coming through now are around hybrid ways of working. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking a little bit deeper into ways of working on a on a more emotional team, human level than just providing them with the do's and don'ts. You know, we, we could provide them with this is how you set up, uh, you know, a home studio for the best meeting possible. 
This is more, you know, what what do you actually do with what you have and the people that you work with? Mm. But yeah, we'll see. Who nice. knows? Yeah. Like all my projects, just go for it. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck. And, you know, it's always exciting to see entrepreneurs launching new programs, new projects. And um, WOW Academy is resonating with things that I've seen as far as what teams need and excited to see where you take it. So I want to just wrap here with my last question, which is give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a final thought. I would probably say one of my favorite philosophies or, or mantras, uh, as it were, is um, this the idea of being a mirror of the energy you want to see in the room. Uh, this is something that I've been working a lot with in terms of trying to, to feel and listen in to what, what the room sort of requires from me. But it's, it's so interesting how in virtual meetings, people really forget their face or their bodies. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I'd really encourage everyone to just think about that. It's like, mm. what, how can I spread? the right you know amount of energy is this a very sort of serious topic or is do i need to get my you know my crazy hat and my uh smiley basketball out to to create excitement so be a mirror of the energy you want to see in the room that's such a beautiful concept and to me that's in a way an extension of active listening exactly. because we can't be a mirror of the energy that needs to be in the room unless we're really, really listening. Yet you've taken it a step further. It's not just the active listening, but it's like, can we adjust our methodology, our toolbox, our approach based on what we think is needed, based on what's happening? Yeah. That's so cool. Exactly that. I'm, I'm happy that you said that, um, made that connection between active listening because it, it really is. And as a, you know, from a facilitator's perspective, you can do so much with your energy, like incredibly. Mm. And everybody's got a different facilitator style and a different type of energy. But I would say also online, you know, over-exaggerate it. You know, in, in a room, when I'm in a room, they will probably get it from everything from my shoelaces to, to my lipstick. But online, you have a lot less to work with. Mm. But just be intentional with how can you support the energy in the room through your your superpowers wow so great well it's been a pleasure chatting with you today jenny and i can't wait to uh the next time we get a chance to talk yeah definitely it's so much fun thank you for having me thanks for joining me for another episode of control the room don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released and if you want more head over to our blog where i post weekly articles and resources about working better together voltagecontrol.com